This week, uh, we're, we're not going to get into Acts 2. We're going to wait for the Holy Spirit to come next week uh, at Pentecost. And so uh, you're going to have to come back next week uh, as we're going to talk about Pentecost uh, uh, together. Next week, we'll actually spend a couple weeks talking about that, a very important uh, uh, part of the Bible that we need to spend a couple weeks in. But I wanted to let you know about that. This week, though, I want to talk about forgiveness and specifically giving thanks for God's forgiveness. And so if you have your Bible there, turn to Micah, Micah chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 18 and 19 uh, together. And I want to read uh, just the end of Micah uh, chapter 7. I'll give you a second to find it in your Bibles. Uh, Maybe not a book that you frequent all the time. Uh, It is one of the the minor prophets, uh, maybe two-thirds of the way into your Bible there. You'll find it. Um, and, uh, but I'm excited for us to talk about God's forgiveness and even to challenge our own hearts in this as we give thanks to um, God and this amazing characteristic uh, of, who, of who he is. Let me read it together. Let's read it together, and then I'm going to, going to pray, and then we'll jump in to find out what it has to say. Micah chapter 7, verse 18, it says this, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Our Heavenly Father, with our Bibles open right in front of us, hearing the Word of God, what a privilege and a joy it is right now to study it. And I do pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be active in our hearts to gain understanding to what it has to say. Would you be our teacher Would you be our comforter? Would you be our guide? Convict us, Lord, where we need to be convicted of sin. Comfort us where we need hope. And I pray that our time together would be well spent studying your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Someone once said this, you will never be more like Jesus than when you forgive. And if you think about it, forgiveness is at the heart of Christianity. Without forgiveness, there is no salvation. Without forgiveness, there is no eternal life. Without forgiveness, there is no reconciliation back to God. Without forgiveness, Christianity is in vain. It truly is at the center of what we believe. That God offers forgiveness to everyone who would come to him and to repent of sin. Through the power of Jesus Christ, he offers this forgiveness and it is incumbent upon us to be like Christ and to be able to forgive others who have offended us as well. We are never more like Christ than when we are able to forgive those who have offended us. The Bible, from the very beginning, talks about forgiveness. Forgiveness is so prevalent throughout the Word of God, it's hard to even go from one book to the next without thinking about this very thing. If you remember, even in 1 Peter, 
when it talks about salvation and the forgiveness of sins that's offered to, to guilty sinners, the angels are in awe that God would offer forgiveness to sinners. The angels are in awe that in his holiness, he would want to bring sinners into his presence. King David often spoke about forgiveness in the Psalms. Maybe you're familiar with Psalm 51, which is a psalm of repentance. Maybe you're familiar with Psalm 32, which also talks about repentance and forgiveness. The Apostle Paul talked about forgiveness. John, Mark, Matthew, and almost every New Testament book talks about forgiveness or repentance in some way. It is filled, uh, forgiveness is filled all throughout our Bibles. The prophet Micah also understood the importance of forgiveness. In fact, in in this uh, little book that we have here of this this minor prophet that Micah wrote, he comes to the end of this book. And in verse 18, he says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity, passing up transgression and for the the remnant of of his inheritance? He goes on and he says, You will cast our all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will, you will tread our iniquities underfoot. Micah comes to the end of, of this book that he, has to re- that, that, he, that he has written to us. He comes to the end of it, and he wants to leave us with this thought. Our God is a forgiving God. He starts out with this phrase. He says this, Who is a God like you? What's interesting about this phrase, it's, it's a single word, and the word is this, Micah. He, he, it's a play on his own uh, meaning to his, to his own name. He asks this rhetorical question, who is a God like you? Who, who, is, who is like this God? He is incomparable. There is no one else that is like him at any time or anywhere. No one is greater than this God. No one is superior as our God. No one is like this God. And the reason that no one is like our God, the reason that no one compares to our God, is because our God forgives sins. Who is a God like you? The Almighty, Holy God, creator of the universe, is uniquely known because he forgives sin. And this blows the mind of Micah. Micah is so moved by this that this is what drove even his prophetic calling. This formed his convictions. This molded his messages. This fashioned how he would do ministry. He could preach hard messages because he believed that God forgave sinners. He could say who was a God like you because he believed that there was no other God who could forgive sins. The book of Micah, it's an interesting book. It's, it's written really with, with these short little sermons that, that Micah preaches all, all throughout the book. And the book centers around, as, you, as, as it would be with, with all of these minor prophets and even the, the larger prophets, it's centered around a call to repentance because judgment is coming. What, what Micah does is he calls out the sins of Israel. 
The I- Israel during this time was, was, was living a, a, a life of spiritual adultery. What Israel was doing was they were creating their own gods. They were creating their own idols. They were worshiping their own created gods. They were bowing down to their own created idols. Israel had abandoned the one true God. They did not obey this God. They, they broke the covenant that God had, had made with them in forsaking uh, uh, Almighty God and turning towards other idols. And Micah was called upon to preach and teach to, to, these, to these men and women who were forsaking the one true God. In fact, if you look back all the way into Micah uh, chapter 1, he, he even calls them out. He, he opens up by saying, hey, hear, O people, verse 2, pay attention. Well, why? Because the Lord is coming back. In chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, Woe to you who devise wickedness, who, who work evil on their beds. In chapter 3 and verse 1, he calls out the, the leaders, the heads of Jacob, the house of Israel, those who, who hate the good, as it says in chapter 3 and verse 2, who, who love to do evil. In Micah 5, he, he, he there calls a vengeance upon the nations because they are not obeying God. In Micah 6 and verse 6 and 7, he calls out the hypocrisy of worship that Israel was doing on a daily basis. They would, they would cover their sin by, by bringing lavish gifts to God as if that was enough to, to, to seek forgiveness and to bring peace to God. In chapter 6 and verse 10, he, he calls out Israel for being a house of wickedness. And in chapter 7 and verse 3, it says there that their hands are on what is evil and they do it well. What does Israel do well? Israel sins well. And Micah comes down then to the end of chapter 7. And what Micah could have done is he could have, in his last thought here, in verses 18 to 20, what Micah could have done here uh, uh, is he could have gone right after them and he could have said, hey guys, the wrath of God is coming upon you. Here comes judgment. Here comes wrath. Here comes God's anger. Here comes God's fury. It's all going to be poured out upon you because of your sins. But instead, Micah comes to the end of the book. He's got one last statement to make and he wants to draw their attention to what? That even in your sin, God is a forgiving God. That's what he leaves them with. That our God, there is no comparison to him that he will forgive you, that he will pardon your iniquity. This blows the mind of Micah. Holy, righteous God, pure, set-apart God of the universe is willing to forgive sinners who continually go back in sin over and over and over again. It's truly amazing. It's fascinating that that's our God. He even says he'll cast them into the depths of the sea. And as I said, this empowered Micah's ministry. He was calling sinners to repentance because he believed that God would forgive them. No matter how wicked Israel was, God would actually forgive Israel in spite of their sin. No one is too far gone. No one is outside of the forgiveness of God. 
that God has enough grace and forgiveness to forgive you. John Bunyan says this, no child of God sins to the degree as to make himself incapable of forgiveness. Notice the first phrase, the first four words, no child of God. You are a child of God. You are not in a position to send your way out of being a child of God. Micah says it like this. Who is this God? What does he do? He pardons iniquity. He passes over transgressions. He treads out and or treads our iniquities underfoot. He casts our sin into the sea, into the depths of the sea. And this is what makes our God so unique. This is what makes our God so special. No other God can forgive. Think about this. Think about this with me. There is no other God that can forgive you of your sins. Meaning this, the Pope cannot forgive you of your sins. Buddha cannot forgive you of your sins. No human priest can forgive you of your sins. Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, cannot forgive you of your sins. The 300 million gods of the Hindu religion cannot forgive you of your sins. Our ancestors or our descendants can at no time be in a position to forgive you of your sins. Our sacrifices, our penance, it does not forgive you of your sins. You cannot earn your way into forgiveness of sins. There's only one way by which your sins are forgiven, and that is through Jesus Christ. That is our God. Only God can forgive. What Micah gives us then, and what I want to show you this morning is this. I want to give you five reasons to be thankful for God's forgiveness. Five reasons to be thankful for God's forgiveness right here out of verses 18 and 19. And the first one is this, is that God's forgiveness removes our guilt. God's forgiveness removes our guilt. Look at what it says. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity, passing over our transgressions. These words there, iniquity and transgressions, those two words there, when uh, they mean this. It, it means to twist or it means to pervert something. These words here have to do with rebellion. They have to do with sin. They have to do with, with uh, uh, missing the mark. And when these words are used simultaneously here in the Bible, kind of in this back-to-back -back nature as it, it's used here, and it's used this way also in, in the Psalms, pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression, when they're used simultaneously, simultaneously like this, it means that it's dealing with the full offense against the holiness of God. Twisting his word, twisting things to make it fit what we want making God's word say what we want it to say, rebelling against the word of God. 
It has to do with even our, our impure thoughts or our, our impure motives. It has to do with, with slander, anger, lying, stealing, all, all kinds of sins against God. And yet in the midst of our, our crookedness, in the midst of our, our twisted minds and our twisted thinkings, even in the midst of all those sins and the, the impurity of our, of our heart and the impurity of our minds, even in the midst of all of that, it says there that God is able to pardon you. What does that mean, that, that word there uh, for pardoning? Pardoning iniquity, it says. Well, that word for pardoning, it, has to, it deals with the guilt that is within us when we sin. The word means this, to take away guilt. When God pardons you, he, he takes away the guilt. It means to totally forgive the sinner. To remove the full offense the full guilt, the full shame, the, the full punishment to remove it entirely from the guilty party. It literally means this, that God lifts our guilt and he takes it away. The Israelites would understand this kind of language of pardoning. They would understand what, what this means to to remove the offense, to, to take it away. This would even bring back for, for the Israelites who would, who would read this and listen to the words of Micah. They, they would take this language and they think back to the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was a day when the high priest would, would take a, a, a scapegoat. And he would take this, this scapegoat and he would, he would lay his hands on the, on the top of the, uh, of the scapegoat and in essence, when he was doing this and putting his hands on top of the, the scapegoat, he, he, was, he, he was putting the sins and iniquities of Israel on top of the goat. And instead of sacrificing the goat, he would, he would let the goat roam free into the wilderness, signifying that all the sins, all the iniquities of Israel were, were placed on the goat, and then, and then, and then that was set free, sent outside into the wilderness. This is what it says in Leviticus 16, 20 to 22. You can make note of this. It says this, And when he has made an end of the atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins, and he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of the man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on himself to, remo to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. And what this did then, it would signify to the people of Israel that there would one day be a God-appointed substitute who would be the one who would take on the full weight of sins of those who would believe in him. A substitutionary atonement, a God-appointed sacrifice who would take on the sins of the world that would remove the guilt and shame that comes when we sin. 
And we know this, that that God-appointed sacrifice is his very own son, Jesus Christ. The Messiah, as he would hang on the cross, taking on the full wrath of God, as he would even utter the words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus would be that perfect sacrifice, that scapegoat for our sins where it would be placed on him. In Isaiah 53, a preview to the cross, it says this, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before his shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. In verse 10, listen to this. It says, yet It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was put to grief. And it says this, when his soul makes an offering for guilt. Because he poured out his soul to death. He was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this, He made him who knew no sin to become sin so that you might become the righteousness of God in him. Our sin transferred to Christ. He bears the full penalty, the full wrath of God. He dies so that we might live. It's amazing. Colossians 2.14 says it like this, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record that stood of the debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. What does this mean? It means this, that you owe God nothing. It is paid in full. And legally, relationally, you stand with God. You have a right standing with him now because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you. It's through Jesus Christ that our sins have been forgiven. It's through Jesus Christ that we have uh, the ability to have our, our, our sins pardoned. Pastor John MacArthur says this, God forgave sinners before Christ died. God forgives sinners since Christ died, and, but God forgives all sinners because Christ died. It's all centered on the work of Jesus Christ. It's no wonder then that Micah's mind is blown by this. 
Secondly is this. Let me give you a second reason to be thankful for God's forgiveness. It is this, is that God's forgiveness removes his wrath. We just touched on that a little bit, but let me just talk about that a little bit more. It says, who is a God like you? Pardons iniquity. Right? That's the removal of the guilt. And then this, passing over transgression. When we hear those words, passing over, it may bring to mind what it brought to mind to the Israelites was a, was a time of Passover. That Passover moment. When we think of Passover now, we may think of the Lord's table or, or communion. To the Israelites, it was, it was much more than, than that, the time of Passover. Uh, as many of you know, if you've heard the story of, uh, of when Egypt was in bondage and they were coming out of bondage and they, were, they came down to that, that one moment when, uh, when Israel was told to, to take, take that of a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a goat and take the, the blood and put it over the, the, the doorway. And then God would send the death angel down to kill the firstborn, but if he saw that there was blood over the doorway, the death angel would what? He would pass over the house. That's where we get that phrase, to, to pass over, to not allow God's wrath to be poured out on that home. He'd pass over it. The people would be spared by the wrath of God. In fact, this is exactly what it says in, in Exodus 12, 21 to 23, it says, call, then Moses called all the elders of Israel, and he said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. It says this, take a bunch of hyssop. That's what it says, a bunch of it. I don't know how much that is, but take a bunch of it. Dip it in the blood that is in the basin, touch it with the lintel, and the two doorposts with it, and cover it. And none of you shall go out of the door of the house until morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptian. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and, and on the, the two doorsteps, doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. And you say to yourself, how is it then for us that, that the Lord would pass over our sins? How is it that, as it says there, he's passing over transgression? How is it that God could do that? The reason that God can do that in your life is because you have gone to Christ and you said, God, forgive me for my sins. And when God looks down on you, he does not see your heart. He sees the heart of Jesus Christ. He sees your heart covered in the blood of Jesus, and he passes over you. And you're pardoned. You're forgiven. The wrath of God is not upon you. Your sins are passed over. And God's wrath that was meant for you is now sent to his son, Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, it says this, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And in Hebrews 10, 4, it says it happened once and for all. No need to keep going back no need. It was just one sacrificial lamb for the sins of the world. 
There's a third reason. Maybe a third reason to be thankful for, for God's forgiveness. It is this, is that God's forgiveness is his joy. God's forgiveness is his joy. Look what it says. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. Let me ask you a question. What brings you joy? Like really, like what brings you just the greatest joy? I had a pretty joyful Thursday watching football, let me tell you. It was a great, joyful day watching football on Thursday. It was, brought me joy to be with my family. It brings me joy to play a good round of golf. It brings me joy to play a bad round of golf. Either way, being on the golf course brings me joy. It brings me joy to be with my family. It brings me joy to be with my wife. What, what brings you joy? What brings you happiness? What, what is it that, that you say, this actually brings me the greatest joy? When we think about God, we must have in our minds this, that it brings God joy when you come to him and ask for the forgiveness of your sin. He delights in that. It brings him joy that you would come before him. You would confess your sin and you would repent of your sin. This is what God delights in. God delights in forgiving you of your sin. Why? Because it is a a demonstration of his steadfast love for you. It displays his steadfast love. He desires this. He wants this. He wants you to run to him to to, to seek forgiveness. It's not a chore to God. It's not not work to God. It's not a burden to God. It's his joy. He also knows this. Listen, church, God knows this and God understands this, is that you have nowhere else to run for the forgiveness of sin. You have nowhere else to go. He watches as people run to alcohol, as people run to drugs, as people run into isolation. They, they, they take on anger. They run to materialism. They try to, to cover up their sin. They try to cover up their guilt with all these other things. And God is saying, you know what? It brings me great joy if you would just come to me. I will pardon you of all your iniquity. I will forgive you of your sin. You don't need to go running to those things. You don't need to go embracing those things. You don't need to be piling up and trying to cover up your guilt if you would just come to me. It brings me joy and delight to forgive you. This is who I am. This is what I do. This is why I sent my son Jesus Christ to die on the cross is that you would come to me and seek the forgiveness of sin. This is what brings him pleasure. And so, church, we need to quickly go. We need to often go to God. We need to seek more and more grace and forgiveness from God who is willing and joyful and generous in His forgiveness. Ed Welch says this. He says, don't say, how could God forgive me of that? Whatever that is. Don't think... That God's forgiveness is a begrudging forgiveness and 
with that thought, deny some of God's glorious love. And don't think that God's promises are only for other people. If this is how you are thinking, you must realize that your own sins, no matter how big, are not bigger than God's pleasure in forgiveness. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that beautiful? Micah says it like this. He says he does not retain his anger forever. He's saying he's a patient God. He's holding back right now his anger. He's holding back his wrath right now. It it won't be forever. He's withholding it because of his steadfast love, which is on display in his forgiveness. The greatest way that God shows his forgiveness is at the cross of Jesus Christ, where there is forgiveness of sin and reconciliation back to God. And he's saying, this is my delight. This is my love for you. This is how I display it to you. Romans 5, 8 says this, but God demonstrates his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Number four, let me give you the fourth reason. It's this. Fourth reason to be thankful for God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness is often. God's forgiveness is often. Look at verse 19. He will what? What's the next word? Again. He will again. He will again have compassion on us. What's that compassion look like? It looks like the treading of our iniquities underfoot. It looks like the casting of our sins into the depths of the sea. What is he saying? He's saying this, that that God's forgiveness is often. We go back again and again and again and again. And again and again and again and again, God forgives us. Who is like our God? Who does that? Our God does. God's forgiveness is continual. He will show compassion on us. He will show us love. He will show us mercy. It's displayed through continual forgiveness. He will forgive and forgive and forgive as an act of continual compassion for us. It's beautiful. God knows the depths of our sin. God sees how sin destroys our life, destroys relationships. And God is right there standing and waiting to forgive you again and again and again and again. You say, well, what does that mean if all of our sins have been forgiven? Yes, positionally before God, you have been justified. And positionally before God, you have a right standing with him. But relationally, we go back and ask for forgiveness over and over and over again so that our relationship with God is pure. So there isn't any sin in the way of our relationship with him. So that we have a healthy relationship with God. That's why it says in in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we go back and we confess and we confess and confess knowing that God forgives, forgives, and forgives. One more. Number five. The fifth reason to be thankful for God's forgiveness is this, is that God's forgiveness is final. God's forgiveness is final. Look what it says. He will have, he will again have compassion on us. And listen to the finality of this 
illustration, this word picture. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all, all our sins into the depths of the sea. What is he saying? He's saying this, that that he will destroy and he will conquer sin until it has no more life. Says that he will tread our iniquities underfoot. It is like a like, like, like stomping on a dangerous bug or stomping on a, uh, on a spider. God stomps and destroys our sin. He removes the threat of it, removes the power of it. He treads our sin underfoot. What a great picture that is, right? Totally removes the threat, entirely destroys it, entirely conquers it. Then he says this, that he'll cast our sin under sea. That means to to release it out like a fisherman, releasing our sin, all of our sin. It says there, it's fully released 32,000 feet into the ocean, all the way down. What what is he talking about? That it it will never return. It will never be brought back up. Like a rock dropped into the ocean, it is covered entirely by the blood of Jesus Christ sent to the bottom of the ocean. The waters of Christ's blood engulf our sin. It is gone. It is covered. It is decisive. It is effective. And it has finality to it. There's freedom now in Christ because of the forgiveness of sin. You're free from its grip. You're free from its power. You're released of sin's guilt and punishment. It is entirely gone forever. Thomas Adams said this. It's a great statement. Write write this down. It's just one sentence. It says this. Our sins are so remitted as if they had never been committed. And so Michael's right, isn't he, when he says this. Who is a God like you? Who forgives like that? Our God does. Our God does. There's so much to be thankful for in that. Let me admonish you now. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Just one quick admonishment. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Everybody turn there. All eyes on Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. No excuses. We're thankful for God's forgiveness, aren't we? What does Ephesians 4.32 says this? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How? As God in Christ forgave you. We're thankful for the forgiveness God gives us, aren't we? But now what are we admonished to do? Turn right around and forgive others in the same way. Right? Be kind. Tenderhearted. Forgive one another. As God in Christ forgave you. 
Forgive with finality. Forgive with joy. Forgive often. That's how God in Christ has forgiven you. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words. This time of year, it, it does allow us time to focus on being thankful. It allows us to just kind of ponder life, reflect on the good gifts that you have given to us. And certainly at the top of that list needs to be the fact that you've forgiven us of our sin. But I'm also mindful of the fact that there may be those who are sitting here this morning who have never heard this before, who have never come to God and asked for the forgiveness of sin, even knowing that the guilt and the wrath of God can be removed from their life. And I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them, embracing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior repenting of sin, trusting in you for salvation. And Lord, as we're reminded out of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, that this is the way that we are to forgive others, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Lord, help us to be mindful of that as we embrace the thankfulness that we have for our forgiveness and we turn now laterally to those who have offended us and to those who have hurt us, and we kind of take a deep breath and we say, okay, I'm going to trust you, Lord, and I'm going to learn to forgive those who have hurt me in the same way that I have hurt and offended you. We can only do that by your Spirit and through your Spirit, active in our hearts, to put on the fruits of the Spirit. And so we come to you for help in all those things, Lord. Lord, we are so thankful that you are a forgiving God. Who is a God like you? There is none like you. It's in your name we pray.